This season of Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and service provider with the drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years means they have experience and expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. At Valcom, you get much more than just a dedicated IT retailer. They actually become an extension of your IT team. Whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and productive. Check them out, vlcmtech.com, to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcmtech.com. Cyber 24 is supported by the Utah Department of Public Safety, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. In addition, the University of Utah's Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute is where we record this podcast each week. At the Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute, they're dedicated to helping Utah make informed decisions. We're also proud to have the support of Secuvant, a Utah-based company providing business-enabled cyber risk and management. Every week on this program, these great partners will provide expertise and insight to help business and civic leaders better understand the challenge of cybersecurity and how to keep your organization safe. We appreciate your support. All right, everybody, welcome into another episode of Cyber 24, the podcast designed to make the topic of cybersecurity less intimidating to our business leaders, to our policymakers, to everyone interested in being safer online. Our guest today on our panel, first, I'm our host, Marty Carpenter. Great to have you guys with us. Uh, our panelists today, uh, Dan Schuyler from Valcom, back with us again. Thanks so much. And uh, Mike Hussey, the executive director of the Utah Department of Technology Services. So great to have you with us, your eminence. <laughs> great to be with you, Marty. And we're always a friend of the pod yeah. and, and glad to be back yeah. on the pod with you. Friend of the pod, for sure. This has <laughs> got to be, we were talking sixth, seventh, eighth visit. First time this season, though, so we're glad to have you back. It's always nice to know that your friends still love you and will still drive down the hill to come <laughs> yeah, of uh, course. hang out. Uh, hey, DTS on the move. You guys uh, have uh, the clock ticking down until... You're essentially getting kicked off Capitol Hill. How you how you feeling about the uh, impending move? Have you started uh, putting things in boxes yet? <laughs> not not quite putting things in boxes yet. But we are getting ready to move. That's a huge move for us to to move our offices out to a new facility, uh, to make way for a new building on Capitol Hill that will uh, bring in uh, state art, state artifacts, and and kind of showcase them as as a part of what goes on the hill. But it is a, a big diversion from many of the other projects we were working on, uh, not to hopefully put those on the back burner, but it may slow some things down as we move our data center, we move all of our employees, uh, a lot ahead of us there. And for people who may be listening, uh, especially if you're in Utah, you may just drive by and sort of see the Capitol up on the hill. The, the, the building that you think of with the big rotunda, that's basically where the legislative um, chambers are and uh, where the governor's office is and such. There are, other, there are three other buildings, one for the Senate, one for the House, and then the one that's on the north end, the state office building. That's where DTS has been. Others have been in there. And it, it's sort of the odd man out. It doesn't really match. It doesn't look like it matches at all. So they're going to tear that down, and they're going to build something that matches a little bit better. But you guys are going to move. Tell us where you're headed. So, yeah, we're moving out of that beautiful state office building, which will come down, uh, built in uh, maybe circa 1970. I'm not sure 
exactly the date, uh, but it does look a little dated up on the hill. Uh, but we're moving out to the American Express building. So the, the state has purchased the American Express building, uh, looking at the plans to renovate some space in there. All of those offices that are uh, currently housed in the state office building will move out there, uh, making way for a, a new building and uh, a better looking Capitol Hill. Well, it, it's uh, it's a tough thing, I know, because you live close to the Capitol, yes. so you're going to have a little bit more of a commute, which actually leads us nicely into our topic that I want to start with today, and that is this idea of teleworking, and particularly uh, for the state of Utah and its employees. There was a study that was just uh, undertaken over the past several months uh, that the state led to say, could we be effective? What would be the ramifications, the benefits, the consequences of having more of its employees uh, telecommute. There are about 24, 25,000 state employees, and that's a lot of office space. And as Mike knows, that's a lot of computers. Dan, I know Valcom just moved buildings a little while ago. So, you know, like just trying to find space for everyone and trying to find, uh, make sure everyone has a place to work. It, it can be a real challenge. It can. Um, so the state undertook this, this study, and I want to just read from the Deseret News report from uh, first week of July. This is uh, our good friend Amy Joy O'Donohue, who uh, covered us a lot in the governor's office, a lot on air quality issues. Uh, she wrote this article for the D News. Uh, it says, citing taxpayer savings and increased productivity, Utah Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox, who I should say friend of the pod, that's not in the story, but should have been friend <laughs> of the pod, uh, says the state will expand telecommuting to an additional 2,500 state government workers. During an announcement Monday, uh, the lieutenant governor also noted that the move will boost air quality by getting more cars off the road. Already, the pilot program put in place last year is demonstrating more effective utilization of office space by creating a shared work environments in which workers rotate in and out and don't lay claim to personal workspace. Okay, some buzzwords that I heard as I read through those uh, just three short paragraphs. Taxpayer savings, good thing, right? Increased productivity, also a benefit. Uh boost our air quality, always a concern, especially in the Salt Lake Valley, uh, and then uh, more effective utilization of office space. All great things. What I didn't hear anywhere in there was, and the state has taken the right steps to address potential cybersecurity issues that would go with having 2,500 additional state employees now working from home. So Mike, you're the guy in charge of this. Are we going to be okay? <laughs> you guys, I suppose this is not the first time you've heard about this study and no one caught you off guard with being prepared for this. So yeah. what challenges come from all of a sudden having 2,500 state employees working from home? No, that's a great point, Marty. Uh, the lieutenant governor, he, he's had a great vision of how to reduce some of these uh, these challenges that the state is facing with air quality, road congestion, mm -hmm. even to move jobs off the Wasatch Speaking Front. Speaking of which, this, the lieutenant governor, our commuter in chief, because it's like 100 chief. miles yes. each way from yes. his house to the capital. Amazing. So anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh, so he, he, he sees it firsthand. I, he sees that commute. He sees what challenges the state is dealing with. So yeah, he, he of course said, hey, what can we do better? And uh, we noticed in Tennessee that they were really first in the uh, telecommuting space here and, and as a state, and they sold off four state buildings downtown. So mm -hmm. talk about savings to this the taxpayer. But yeah, some of the things that we learned from them and that we looked in-house in about, how do we secure those systems now that we don't know exactly where the workforce might be? They might be in their um, in their home. They might be trying to work uh, as a managing a client uh, on the road. Who knows where they might be? So it does change our, our workforce and their, and their demographic. And so we, we need to make sure that those things that they're doing are secure. So we, as, as people VPN into the state, 
as they can create a secure connection into the state, how do we know what their work environment is like? And some of those kinds of things need to be addressed right off the bat. And so we started evaluating how do we how do we raise that awareness from from the employee's perspective. So security awareness has gone up, and and we cater our security awareness every year to what we see um, kind of hitting the state. So mm-hmm. it might be ransomware one year. It might be um, making sure that your workspace is secure. You know, making sure that you have credentials that are are strong. Um, those are the kinds of things that we do. Now with this next round of security awareness will be more of to making sure that your environment is secure. So you don't have someone shoulder surfing as you're doing your work. Uh, are you in a, a work environment that you feel is comfortable um, for you to touch secure data? And that was part of this, right? That they have to show that they have a dedicated workspace Absolutely. in their home where they could say, this is where I go when I work. It's not necessarily, well, here's my couch, yeah. and yeah, there's my TV, <laughs> yes. and as long as the remote and my drink are close yes. enough to me, I'll, I'll work, right? There's some of that that goes into there, it. There, it has to be a safe environment for uh, these computers to touch data, and, and oftentimes very sensitive data. The state realizes it does have very sensitive data on citizens, and we need to make sure that that data is secure and protected no matter where the worker is. And so we do some things that will interrogate the machine when it connects. Uh, hey, is it is it patched? Are the virus definitions up to date? Uh, is it is it compatible with touching state systems? Is it actually a state-owned computer? Are they trying to come in from a you know somebody's mom's uh, computer? Oh, I got to do this quick thing at work. Um, I'm not at my home. I don't have my access to my computer, so I'm going to use another computer. Well, we may not let that computer touch state regulated data. So those are the kinds of things that that have come up and that we needed to learn a lot about ourselves and how to secure that. So it really did change our security and kind of our focus for a little while. Are there new issues that come with sort of you're you're able to approve some home space you know, where these people are working. You're able to kind of control some of those elements. Uh, there are other people uh, on you know who work for the state who may take um, laptops or whatever and go out and, and they're working while they're traveling somewhere. They're maybe at a Starbucks. You know, they're on they're on the road to a conference in Indianapolis and they stop at a Starbucks and get on the Wi-Fi. Have has this new program just sort of built on what you've already been doing? It, it has. I mean, because a lot of that is uh, security awareness training. Uh-huh. I mean, hey, are, should you be uh, connected to a, a public fi- Wi-Fi at McDonald's or Starbucks yeah. and, and uh, doing state business there? It, it, maybe not. And so security awareness training helps with a lot of that. And yes, now that with this new uh, telecommuting initiative, we start adding on to what we've kind of built already with, with our, hopefully our security foundation yeah. with many of our employees. But, but now we have to take that to the next level where we, we really do need to know that those machines are secure. I I know you take a lot of pride in making sure you get this right, but do you feel like an extra sense of pressure to say, (laughs) you know, the state is actually government leading out on saying, hey, we can have some people work from home, we can cut some costs. Businesses are likely to take a little notice of that. And and if you're successful, follow in those footsteps, maybe there will be some businesses who would say, yeah, we'll give that a shot. Do you feel like an extra sense of pressure to get it right uh, so that everyone says, Hey, this is something that can actually be done, and and that the way you're doing it, people are going to hopefully improve on that as they go. But they want to see that you're doing it right. Absolutely. I mean, this the state does like to lead out. Uh, we we don't like to be maybe on the bleeding edge, but it's at least adopting those new emerging technologies and maybe emerging workspaces that we can take advantage of. Uh, recruitment and retention is a, a difficult uh, challenge for the our, our department mm-hmm. to try and recruit IT talent. So why not? provide an opportunity for folks to work from home. I think that's a, a, a great opportunity for folks. Get up, 
go downstairs, go to work, and avoid the commute. Uh, maybe maybe even uh, take advantage of some of those things from working at home. So those are the things that I think will um, play into where the state goes and certainly setting a high bar. You know, I was reading in the Harvard Business Review that about 5% of the, the country already is telecommuting and how do you maybe push that up a little bit I, or at least be com- competitive in that space. So the state wants to lead there. We, we feel that pressure. We feel the, uh, the excitement around this. Uh, that we, we certainly see all those added values. And, uh, and even, like I was talking about before, uh, hiring folks off the Wasatch Front, mm-hmm. pushing jobs to rural Utah. We've already hired some folks out in rural Utah as part of our uh, putting our toe in the water. Hey, can we do this? Do we have all the technology in place to allow folks to work from Fairview, Utah? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the kinds of things that we're looking at now, and I certainly think we're, we're there. Yeah, allows people to work for the state of Utah in a in sort of a white-collar, high-tech capacity or any jobs in any of the departments they wouldn't necessarily think of as like, you know, um, uh, state park management or something like that that would normally kind of right. align your, your thinking with rural and decentralize the state government a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Dan, I, I also looked at a report from Fox, um, Fox Business that said uh, that one-fifth of small business owners have not provided formal cybersecurity training for their employees, especially those who are working at home. That, that has to be alarming <laughs> as a statistic. And what, what counsel would you give to a business that's looking at doing what Mike is doing with, with his department and with much of state government, moving folks uh, to where they have the option to telework? What, what advice would you give? Well, first of all, I'm a huge advocate of telecommuting, and I'm excited about the state's pilot program. And I hope other uh, states and other uh, other private entities follow the pilot program because I'd like to see that 5% number grow. Um, but to answer your question about security awareness training, it, it is surprising because uh, you, you'll get a lot of figures that go back and forth about the success of, of security awareness training. But like I said before, it's it's how you do the training that that determines the success of the training. And security awareness, security awareness training has a huge ROI. I mean, you get a lot of return on your investment for what you put into that versus buying hardware or technology uh, from a security perspective. And I, th- I think it's, I think the mindset of the private sector is changing. I think with the number of breaches we're seeing now that they're getting more cognizant that, you know what, we, we need to start doing some security awareness training. Um, I think the biggest question is, where do they go to do that? And there are a couple of resources. There's online resources. Uh, several different vendors provide online resources. Um, there are several companies that provide on-site security awareness training, including Valcom. And so my, my suggestion to uh, small business and, and SMBs is, you know, do your research. If you have questions, look for a value-added reseller. Ask them a question. Um, but definitely start investing in awareness training because the ROI is, is very significant. And if, like I mentioned before, if technology were perfect, we would not be having this conversation. And your employees, um, your uh, internal customers are your last line of defense. And so when that 1% uh, malicious uh, email or, or, or document gets through your uh, security controls, your staff needs to be aware of how to handle that. They need to be they need to know what to look for and know how to handle that. And you get that through security awareness training. If it's done correctly, 
um, the the number of incidents significantly goes down. Yeah, and we've seen that just because you have everyone in house doesn't necessarily mean that you're never going to have a security incident. Correct. Um, that said, this is sort of breaking away from a, a well entrenched norm of people get up and they grab their briefcase and commute to work and then they go home. Uh, but if we get it right, I mean, the potential I, for businesses to say. Look, I, I used to have this relatively fixed or somewhat fluctuating, but a cost that I always had to deal with in providing office space for my employees. And now if their office space is essentially the laptop or their desktop at home or you know, any way that they can connect in and they can still be as productive or even more productive as a lot of the studies show – wow, all of a sudden I've got a cost I can really cut down. And even if you wanted, even if you're a business that wants that downtown office with your name on top of the tower, maybe you only need two floors instead of more. Now the, the you know, commercial property folks are <laughs> not, not necessarily in love with that. There will always be some need, I think, for some kind of physical space. And there are businesses where customers need to come in and interact. But boy, for a lot of folks who just go to a nondescript building or a cubicle or an office space somewhere, this has uh, the potential. So no pressure, Mike. Why don't you go ahead and get this one right? <laughs> okay, I got it. I got it, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> What's your biggest concern, though, right now, like with with trying to implement that? Uh, I, I think some of the challenges we find, uh, we have our Department of Health right now where we need to secure uh, HIPAA data. Um, again, talking about sensitive sure. data that the state owns. Uh, how do we make sure that that environment is, is conducive to protecting citizen data? And I think we have the right controls in place. Uh, but as we dip our toe in the water, prove out this pilot, some of the things that we're doing, uh, maybe even creating virtual desktops, VDI solutions. Uh, so to make sure that, hey, we, we're comfortable with this, but not that. And making sure that we've thought about everything. There's always these end runs that occur and making sure we thought about those. Uh, our security team, I think, is uh, world-class. And I, I like to think that we've thought of everything. I was worried that those there's some smart bad guys out there too. And so what did they think of that we didn't? And so I, I think we, we have have uh, layers in place of protection. So if we didn't think of one thing, then maybe it's caught at that next layer, layer and we can go back and recircle the wagons and, and figure out how to protect at that, that closer layer to the employee. But always, what did what door might we have left open for the bad guys yeah. is probably most concerning. And Mike won't say this, but the real downside in all of this is that Mike Hussey has had hands down the nicest office in state government. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The, the governor's yeah. office is pretty nice. It's yes. got, you know, a direct elevator to parking and yeah. all of that stuff. <laughs> but Mike Hussey had perhaps the best view yeah, on Capitol Hill because it was facing into the into the courtyard. So he had a view of the rotunda. I just am heartbroken that you won't have that, that view anymore. Yeah. But maybe you can be part of this telecommuting effort and you can just wake up and, and work from home instead. I'm not sure how often I'll be able to do that, but I, I would like to at least uh, myself, you know, prove out this technology and, yeah. and figure out what didn't we think of. So Yeah, interesting stuff. Hey, okay. when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more with Dan, who just got back from Las Vegas, uh, where two big hacker conventions just wrapped up this week. He went to one of them. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, what was going on. Even though what norm what happens in Vegas normally stays in Vegas, we're going to pry a little bit out of it on the uh, on the hacker side. Back with more on the Cyber Twenty Four podcast right after this. Allowing your employees to bring in their own devices is like allowing them to bring in a security time bomb to your workplace. So how do you take the burden of onboarding so many new devices off your IT department without sacrificing security or policy enforcement? Look no further than Aruba ClearPass. ClearPass allows you to safely connect business and personal devices to your network in compliance with your security policies. It allows you to allocate access to devices based on users' roles, device type, 
and cybersecurity posture. At Valcom, they're all about saving you time while still protecting your privacy. Dismantle your time bombs at vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. That's vlcmtech.com slash clearpass. Okay, welcome back to the Cyber24 podcast. Dan Schuyler from Valcom, Mike Hussey from the Utah Department of Technology Services, Marty Carpenter. Uh, Dan, you just got back from Las Vegas, and although the rule is generally what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I'd love to get some insight on what you experienced there. Two big uh, cybersecurity-related conventions going on in Vegas uh, from like August 6th through August 9th, so last week, or by the time this posts, it might be a little over a week ago. Um, you were at DEF CON. Um, yes. Just a, there are a lot of cyber folks there. The the black hat may be more of like the hacker crowd, but tell us a little bit about uh, what were your impressions of DefCon. This is not you've gone before, right? How many times have you been to this? This is actually my first this time. This is your first to time. DefCon. Yes. Okay, I had the feeling you were more of a, a veteran of these things, but now you've had your first impression with it. So, w- what were your impressions of it, and what do you think of it? It was crowded. Uh, <laughs> I think the number is twenty five thousand uh, attendees, somewhere around there, and uh, it was very busy. Very crowded, uh, huge turnout, a lot of interest from the hacker community. DEF CON is more focused on the hacker community. Uh, and there were a lot of great sessions. A lot of them were focused on um, specific hacks that had transpired or specific ways to take advantage of vulnerabilities that uh, either existed or currently exist. Um, you'll see in the news every once in a while, uh, a new vulnerability will be discovered at DEF CON and it'll make the news, and then the manufacturers will have to patch the vulnerability that the uh, hackers discovered during their DEF CON uh, sessions. So those are, those are very interesting. But uh, the one session that uh, really struck a chord with me was a, a session uh, between uh, former congressional leaders, current and former congressional leaders, and the hacker community. It was really uh, discussing how prepared is the federal government to detect and defend against a cyber attack. Um, And I I think the general consensus is not prepared enough. Um, There's a lot of legislation making its way through Congress, uh, legislation that will will potentially focus on consumer privacy, data privacy, uh, cybersecurity initiatives at the federal government level. But the the end result of that discussion was the, the representatives uh, indicated that it needed to be a collaborative effort. They need the help of the hacker community. And just like the private sector uh, that is struggling to find talent, the federal government is struggling to find talent as well, just just like state agencies are as well. And so their message, the message that came out of that session was this needs to be a collaborative effort. We're seeking the help from um, the hacker community, from those folks that have experience in cybersecurity, and they they encouraged everybody to reach out to their senators and representatives and say, hey, I want to help. How can I help? Um, let me know what I can do to participate and make sure that the federal government is prepared for a potential cyber attack. And so it was a really great discussion, um, and I think it was one of the more relevant and uh, salient discussions of the, of, the, uh, of the sessions. I love the image of that, Mike, that uh – You've got hackers who you think of skewing relatively young, uh, being asked to reach out to their representatives or their senators, uh, some of whom you get the feeling may not know how to attach 
uh, put an attachment on an email <laughs> or log into their email, mm-hmm. you, you get the feeling a lot of those passwords might be password. <laughs> you know, uh, um, it's just an interesting image to to kind of think of it that way. Yeah, and that's the the amazing thing. I I think of the um, the pipeline of of new folks coming in and how to uh, create interest in this space. Where yeah, it might be fun as a, a young young person just kind of breaching into systems unknowingly, you know, more like the uh, the war games kind of mentality and, you know, just kind of discovering what's available, how to do it, kind of learn from what they uh, just try. Um, but now to create that pipeline of talent, real talent, where you can start to shore up systems and to start to shore up I mean, federal government, state government, local governments, and to to stave off some of those things that you read about, like these uh, ransomware attacks down in in Florida that, between two cities, it was over a million dollars. And it could have been just some small, small individual just uh, learning new talent, new new trade, and figuring out how how to explore. But now how do you move that to good? How do you increase that pipeline, uh, start to develop the cyber talent in the state and, and create that pipeline where, where it's so desperately needed? Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it as sort of a recru- fertile recruiting ground <laughs> truly. Uh, to sort of come to the light side, or <laughs> maybe it's the dark side to go work for government, I don't know, depending on which way you want to yes. say it. Um, anything else that stood out? Well, uh, I would just say that one of the res- representatives asked the audience who would be willing to um, provide assist with the federal government with regards to cybersecurity who would be willing to help um, the federal government with cybersecurity and there was a there was a good show of hands and that's really what generated that collaborative discussion about yeah we need the help of the cybersecurity community of individuals like you in this room and so if if you want to help if you if you want to lend your talents please reach out to your senators and representatives and let them know um, as we all know, legislation takes a long time to make its way through Congress, and then then uh, you know you have to ramp up for whatever the legislation requires. So if you can if you can leverage the talent that's already out there in the uh, cyberspace, uh, the hacker community, if you will, um, it it will just it will just make that process that much easier. Um, so there were again a lot of great sessions. Uh, that came out of DEFCON. Um, I was only there for two days, um, but uh, it's there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent that uh, that uh, I saw, and a lot of talent that could be utilized by both state and local governments. You know, it's interesting. Uh, and two, the 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 talent that makes its way into the federal space uh, also. I'm finding that that's one of the things that the states and the feds are partnering more on is cybersecurity. So that talent that makes its way into that community certainly is uh, leveraged across all spaces where you start to have the, the states, the feds, even the locals get together on cybersecurity and say, hey, this is a partnership. This is not a way, this, this is not politics. This, right. is, this is something that we need to figure out how to partner together on and collaborate better on so that we can leverage that across the entire nation. So it's, it's really something great to see that the, the feds are figuring this out too. Yeah, and your words mirrored a lot of what was discussed. Interesting stuff. I'm sure we'll talk more about these conferences over the next several weeks as more and more topics pop up. But uh, just just a fascinating idea of bringing together sort of an outside hacker group, uh, cybersecurity of working alongside them to kind of better understand what the vulnerabilities are, and then, geez, to even think of it as a recruiting ground mm-hmm. <laughs> for for uh, you know the types of uh, talent that we need 
in government or in business uh, that some of these folks can go apply those skills elsewhere. Uh, great conversation. Dan, we're glad you made it back safely from Vegas. Thank you. You, you never know. There's no like uh, hangover situation, <laughs> the, the movie, the hangover situation. Uh, Mike, thanks for being here as well. Absolutely, Marty. Thank you, Marty. All right, that's it for this episode. Final thanks to our presenting partners at Valcom for all of their support. I'd also like to thank our supporting partners who contribute to this program throughout the season. The Utah Department of Public Safety, the University of Utah's Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute, our friends at Secuvant, as well as the Utah Department of Technology Services and the Utah Attorney General's Office. Until next episode, I'm Marty Carpenter.